Welcome back to Studio Secrets A to Z. I'm Anthony J. Resta, and I'm here to uh, do another bonus episode on actually my alter ego, Ajax Railvac. So for today, I'm going to actually be Ajax Railvac. And for those that don't know, I've had a career uh, on the side where I just do music for the sake of my exploratory um, experiments under the name Ajax Railvac. That way, if somebody hates it, they don't know it's me. <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, I'm going to go through like a, a little, uh, you know, timeline of uh, some different things. I've got a new album coming out in May, uh, which is going to be called uh, Solar System for Your Ears, Part 2. And so I'm just going to do one piece from each album and, you know, talk about the production and the, the sounds and, you know, the technology that I used at the time since it's come, you know, over the, the course of the last, you know, 25, 30 years. It's from when I started. The first album was actually... Um, recorded mostly on an Akai KBS-1000 uh, sampler. And I th- did the whole album with two megs of RAM, which is just like mind-boggling to me because, you know, we would just downsample things. And, you know, I, I did a few vocals on uh, a DAT machine. That was towards the end, you know, when it was like, okay, we're going to move into DAT machines and, uh, and uh, ADAT. So anyway, but for the most part, all the music... Uh, I would sample the guitar right into the Kai um, and, and loop it. And the drums, I had a couple of little drum machines. I had a, a Korg Mini Pops and a, a bunch of little junky things. I had a Moog, a multi-Moog, uh, which was really just a wonderful uh, synthesizer. And one guitar that Nuno gave me, a, a Tele. It's actually a really nice Tele. And a, a GP100 Roland, which was the amp modeler. Still sounds good t- to this day, I think. Um yeah, we use we still use them. So yeah, we'll start off with um this is how the album opens up and I've got a few little side stories about this, but here we go. The wonder of technology. A good sound setup is capable of reproducing a frequency range from below 30 cycles per second to above 15,000 cycles per second. However, it is not only the frequency range reproduction that is important. It is the quality of sound reproduction that gives the listener a feeling of fulfillment. The sound coming through your equipment should sound natural and musical. Here is a musical example which presents a rigorous test for good equipment. We have freshly arranged and recorded this musical sequence to present a complete panorama of sound as used in a large pops recording. There is something going on that cannot be understood. Ah, the triumph of technology. There is something going on. There is something going on that cannot be understood. An apocalyptic vision of the ultimate teenage joyride.
And there you go. So I don't even know where to begin. But uh, this was all recorded, um, you know, like I said, into the Akai. But when I I would break things out into separate outputs and I was triggering all the MIDI from a opcode vision. So when I was doing the mix, I was Bob St. John had uh, lent me his Ramza console. And I think it was 16 channels. And I had stuff coming up everywhere. And when I would mix, I would just like on the fly go everything direct to dat. So I would just do it over and over again until I, I got a pass I liked. But the funny thing is I only had one compressor. So like in different parts of the song, I'd literally be unplugging the compressor and moving it to a different channel, like right before something came in, you know? So, I mean, this is very primitive, but I put an enormous amount of thought and time, you know, into making these decisions that made it all happen. It was like, there's no automation. It's, it's pretty crazy when I listen to it now. Um, but uh, it, it was sort of the beginning of my entire, you know, career as a, as a producer because I, you know, I was just doing performance art music and I had no real, you know, goal other than just pleasing myself. So, but at the time I was using some really interesting things like Bob uh, St. John turned me on to the 120 XDS subharmonic synthesizer. I think we talked about that in, in maybe in the TV Mania episodes, but I was using some really cool, like, stereo equipment from the 70s and stuff um this was when some of this was at my parents house in in westford um and the other part was when i first got the studio in chelmsford in 1994 late 94 um 
that's where we were doing, I was doing a lot of this, this stuff then. And it was funny because I moved in, this it was a big mill building and, um, and I, uh, I went in there and the guy says, you know, there was only one tenant, there's 300,000 square feet of space. And there was only one tenant in the building it was an insurance company. And then my friend Bruce had a machine shop there, Bruce St. Hilaire. And he said, yeah, come on down. Um, the guy said, um, well, how many windows do you want? I mean, it was like, it was like 10 gymnasiums in a row with all these windows and I was going to get a space. And I'm, I'm like, oh, I don't know. I got, I, I, I said like, oh, two or three, you know, these big giant 20 foot high wheel windows. And he goes, how about six? <laughs> and I go, well, what's that going to cost? And he's like, $535 a month, including utilities. And I'm like, okay, six it is. So they built the walls and everything. And I had this giant space. And I moved in, and all I had was a, a the KBS 1000, a Moog synthesizer, a guitar, and a desk. And it was in the corner. And my dad came in one Sunday, and uh, he comes in, and there's this, you know, 1,300-foot square space with me in, like, a corner with this little desk. <laughs> and, uh, and he's, geez, Tone, what do you need all this space for? <laughs> and it was just, like, I, I really, at the time, I didn't really know. But, like, you know, within the next, within five years, I actually filled the place up, and it became, you know, my first studio, Bopnik Music. Um, Karyati came on in 96, I think. So I was there for a couple of years doing this this kind of stuff um, in between teaching drum lessons and whatever else. But anyway, so that was the beginning. And, you know, ironically, this piece of music was probably the first thing Duran heard when I sent Warren the um, the cassette with my solo stuff on one side and Dale's stuff I'd been doing with Dale on the other. So, like, this crazy uh, good sound setup thing would have been the very first thing they heard from me, which is kind of funny. And they loved it. And I remember one time I was at the Roseland Ballroom. Um, it was during the, uh, I don't know, if, I think it might have, I don't remember if it was the um, Thank You or Medazalan was there, the record that was out. But anyway, they started their show with that uh, intro, which was just like a thrill for me to be sitting in the Roseland Ballroom and hear my thing crank through before the show, which is like a huge, crazy honor. But that was the beginning. And that was from the first album called Demos of Saturn. It's on... Um, Spotify, you can check it out. It's it's very lo-fi, but there's some really artsy artsy songs on there. There's one called She Throws Things that features Dale Bozio that's a big favorite. Everybody loves that one. And we've been talking about turning that into a country song, but I'll save that for another episode. So, yeah, thanks for uh, checking that out. And we're going to move on to the second album, which uh, we started when we moved to California in 2013, we um our equipment got delayed and we moved into Paramount and we literally had an extra like two and a half weeks just with not a lot of gear but we had a space so I, I talked to Greg and he co-produced this album actually helped like write the songs and arrange them and stuff and we just started working on uh, the second album which is called Dreaming and Subtitles and uh, that was a really fun process uh, it was really for me, it was eye-opening because we, we did things a lot more minimal, and it's a really cool record. You guys can check that one out, too. But this song is called Cute Girl. She'll boil your bunny. She'll skin your cat. She'll shatter your life, and you won't get it back. She'll date your best friend. There's nothing you can do She's a cute girl 
the bulk of that at Paramount Recording Studios in upstairs in Studio E and it was a mastering room and it, it was it had a really cool sound it was nice ISO it was really a great place to record we did the drums at Ryan Hoyle's live drum tracks uh, in Sherman Oaks and Ryan had just an incredible um, recording setup lots of different drum sets and mics and uh, I love the sound of the drums on that track Cariotti did an amazing job yeah, and Greg and I, you know, wrote the song and, you know, played those parts together. We're basically the band, and um, it was a lot of fun. Um, some really interesting uh, guitar approaches were different for me because I was used to doing, like, so many layers of stuff and just, like, figuring things out, and Greg would be like, no, man, just play one part. Just make it a main part, you know, and just and then I'd be like, oh, shit, how do I do that? <laughs> so it was, a, it was a great growth experience for me working with a, a producer, and that's really interesting because you know as a songwriter i needed somebody um to help me sort things out because you know it, it, it's weird you can't get out of your own head as a songwriter sometimes and that's why you know working with a producer is always a good thing and that for me that was like actually the first time that uh working with a producer other than myself on on um my own stuff so that was really eye-opening for me and it, it's i've kind of I look for that. Like I'm on my new album, I have a few singles that are really um, important coming up in May, and I may try to enlist Greg again to uh, do a couple of these with me because it's hard for me to make decisions. I'll have like 14 pages of lyrics and I hate all of them, you know. So, um, you know, that's the kind of stuff that I need, you know, some pushing. <laughs> you don't love all of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, at least I don't love all of them. I'm global. I'm global famous. <laughs> 37-minute song. Oh, that was my last one, my 42-minute song. We'll get to that one. <laughs> but, yeah, so that's that was Dreaming in Subtitles. That's got a lot of cool songs on it, too. You need to check that out. There's, um, yeah, a bunch of different stuff. Um, Warm with God. Um, 
the, the very first track is uh, the, the Hollywood one when it was about our move here. And I love the K-Fuzz on the bridge. I think Greg played that on this one we just played. It was a... On, on, I, think, I think you played everything, but the, I played the bass. Yeah, you played bass, but I think, you, know, I think you, played, you might have done the fuzz oh, in the bridge. That may have, but I, uh, yeah. the thing I was going to say, yeah. um, that we, we, I, I think this was, a lot of this was done virtually. We didn't have a lot of amps. Oh, that's right, because the gear wasn't even here, and Cariati would just re, re-amp stuff or bring, you know, or use the, you know, plugins, mo- different uh, plugins and stuff. I think we might have had one amp. But yeah, there's a minimal amount of pedals too. Like we had that that K fuzz. Um, yeah, you had your like your 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 friends made Klon. Yeah, yeah, the Klon that on Jack Barter made, and um and then the the OP one did a lot of the the drum stuff. All on the the last song, the uh, the first song I forgot to mention that I actually had an octopad, and I was listening to all those Tom fills. I'm like, how did I do that in my my bedroom? And then I realized it. <laughs> I had an octopad. So remember, I don't know if anybody remembers those. I've actually been thinking about like getting back to pads for programming because it's just when you play with sticks, it's a whole different thing. But anyway, I'm, I'm regressing. So anyway, so that was Dreaming in Subtitles. Uh, check that one out. That was the second album. And now we're going to move on to the third album, which was A Solar System for Your Ears. Um, and that came out during the uh, pandemic and um, in July 24th. I think it was 2021. And so I'm going to pick a song off of this one. Uh, I don't even remember what song I picked. What's it called? <laughs> oh, yeah, this, this is a great, this is a great um, topic. So this is like a turning point in my life when at this point I started, you know, doing some independent film and scoring, and I started studying with Neil Desby, um, studying counterpoint and um, getting into like more of the orchestral frame of mind and the the next two albums have a lot of orchestral music and it's something I've wanted to do is since I was a kid really I, I I mean I when I was I remember as a teenager I used to listen to Bartok's um percussion and celeste suite like literally 15 times in a row I mean and I was in a band and we would like open our set like playing that music and it was like so it was a huge part and um Frank Zappa of course I was just into like that whole world but I really never really utilized any of it. It was a part of my brain that just sat dormant for, for, you know, a long, long time. And then when I started studying with Neil, I went to his place and he said, play me something. And I was like shaking because I'm like, what am I going to play this you know, USC professor who's a conductor in Hollywood and stuff? I'm just like, and I just started playing stuff that I played when I used to skip gym at Westford Academy, you know, just <laughs> all these weird, you know, nested tuplets, quintuplets, and strange diminished stuff. I mean, I had no idea what it was. So I played it for Neil, and he, he had a curious look on his face, and he reached into a pile of music on top of his piano. It was covered in music, and maybe three piles back, he pulled out one sheet of music, and he played Albon Berg's um, Opus One, which was, I guess, for his PhD. And it was... I started crying a little bit because it was like exactly like what I wanted to do like for my whole life, but I didn't, you know, I, it was like a hundred times better than what I was doing, but it, it made me realize there's, it opened up a door and that's what led to this style of music. So this next piece is called the forever and now. And, uh, I'll, t- I'll talk about the piece more after, but it was written for seven celli piano and choir. So here it is the forever and now.
That's the forever and now. And so this was kind of like a breakthrough piece for me because a lot of my orchestral music tends to be bizarre and kind of Frank Zappa, Samuel Barber, just wacky, strange. And this was like something that came from another part of my brain. I remember sitting there late at night and like the piano part just came to me. It's quite simple. And um, I, I just started working with that. And then I just one at, one at a time came up with these parts. And um, and I knew that I had to get Cameron Stone to play on it because he's just like this incredible cellist that I've been working with for 20 years. He plays with Donna Delory on some of those records. And he's just been like an amazing uh, person to have in my Rolodex. He just always turns everything into magic. And he came in and helped me piece all these parts together. And he's like, wow, these are these lower interval limits are pretty, they're rubbing. You know, it was like, a, it wasn't an easy piece to play because some of those, there's some dissonance um, in there. And for me, it was, I don't know, just, I, I just felt like a breakthrough. And then like, you know, I'd been studying with Neil for a couple of years and um, he, um, hadn't really, you know, he's kind of just, he doesn't get really excited about much. He's a little bit on the dry side, but, uh, and, and we're good friends now, but this was the first time that he was, he said, I, he said, like, this is hauntingly beautiful. And, um, he listened to it over and over and he said, um, actually I have his email here. He said, uh, I, I can't, I can't blow my own horn like that. But anyway, he was blown away and, um, and it, it felt like the beginning of a new, uh, era for me. And I've moved on to, you know, I've scored a number of, uh, independent films and I'm trying to work my way up. And it's, it's very, very satisfying. And I, I think I've been able to sneak it into a lot of the pop productions and a lot of the, um, more, um, soundscapey things. So it's, a, it's kind of combining my old world and my new world. And the reason I called that the forever and now is because it, it's about that feeling you get when you're in an experience and it almost feels like a memory in real time, like it's happening. And you, you kind of feel like, it's a memory and you're living in it. So that's why I call it the forever. And now it doesn't happen that often, but when it does, it's kind of a, a profound feeling. And I felt like I kind of captured that feeling a little bit on that one. But anyway, thanks for listening to that. And we'll move on. We're going to jump into the fourth album, which came out this year. And I decided I had all these pieces that I had been putting together loosely, like, in different song orders and finding ways that the key changes would work. And I decided that I wanted to make it one giant 42 minute song. And, uh, my manager, Alan's like, dude, what are you doing that for? <laughs> and I just, I don't know. I just, I just wanted to do it. I may re-release it with the, with the tracks, um, as, as just a, bon a thing that, so people can find the music. Cause it's kind of tough for people to sit through 42 minutes of music, but it's a good late night headphones experience, you know, can take you on a journey and there's a real surprise at the end. But, um, this particular piece is, um, it's two pieces in one. It's, it's orchestral. Uh, I can't even think of the title because I don't really have a title. It's the, it's the whole thing is called glimpses inside your brain. And really it's glimpses inside my brain, but it's like me looking outside. I know it's kind of bizarre, but anyway, this is, uh, these little orchestral pieces and I'll talk a little bit about how I put it together after I play it for you. Thank you. 
And that's um, that that piece there. And um, I'm going to go into a little bit about how I did that. But that's going to be featured in a, a film coming up as the closing credits. I'm not going to really talk about it yet, but I'm really excited about that piece of music. And I, when I listen to it, it doesn't sound like anything like me. And that's when I go, wow, that must be good. <laughs> um, that's a self-confidence problem, um, just in case you were wondering. But um, anyway, how I did this, which is, is really interesting. It was like an exercise. You know, it was one of my ex- harmony exercises where I decided to try um, make a, a four and a six note voicing. And basically I used the piano roll in MIDI instead of audio. So what I did was I just, it was like I was building shapes and I called it musical Tetris because I just kept making notes and dragging them down and making them voice lead wherever I wanted. And I would like spend hours just doing like, you know, four or six measures, and then I'd listen to it, but I wouldn't get, like, lost in it. I'd go, okay, that's pretty cool. And I just kept doing that, like, in my spare time for a couple of days until I had what you hear here. And then when I assigned those um, to Spitfire Audio um, plugins, like I use, like, a a bunch of their orchestral things. They have the solo celli and solo violins and all that stuff. Um, Anyway... That's what came out. I was like shocked. I was like, oh my God, that's what it's a musical Tetris. It was like a whole different way of writing for me. So it's, it's kind of like sketchpad um, writing. It's like, but n- instead of using musical notes, I was just using the, the MIDI uh, piano roll. So that's like musical Tetris. And I kind of shocked by the results because it, it sounds like, doesn't sound like the way I normally write. And I love exploring different ways of coming up with doing things differently because that's how you know how you stumble into you know the magic so there's really no rules and um that's really the point of that piece and i when i listen to it i'm like wow and when i heard it in the end credits of this film um i I brought a tear to my i'm like wow i just wish we had a budget to do it with a real orchestra but i think it's the the emotion actually comes through and that's really what it's all about for me so I, i look forward to you know doing more stuff like this on other projects and combining it you know, into the music productions as well. There's been a number of things where I've been able to take these new exploratory things and combine them with, uh, you know, rock or pop or whatever. So thanks for going through this musical journey with me on these four albums. And then in May, uh, May 4th, I decided, because I like that one, May the 4th be with you, I had to do it. Um, so yeah, May 4th, I'll have the, the next one, um, which is going to be the studio, um, uh, solar system for your ears part two. So keep an eye out for that. And, um, thanks for coming by and listening to all this. And we're going to be doing lots, lots more stuff. Like we got some great podcasts coming up, really excited about, um, all the things we got going on. So keep coming back to studio secrets, A to Z, and we're going to sign off. Thanks for coming. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.